This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. This is Anand Vinigala, and I will be your host for the Letter of Liberty podcast, where we welcome guests to discuss literature, liberty, politics, news, and potentially all that is under the sun. There will be no guests for today, but next week we will be interviewing Richard Martin, a great classic scholar from Stanford University, and I'll be interviewing him on Homer's The Iliad, which is one of the greatest epic poems ever written, and it's one of my favorite works, so stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, I'll probably just ramble on a bit on several things of what I've been reading and what I'm interested in, and including some of the articles I've written for the LIU Post Pioneer. So I'll start with some of the news I've discovered on my university. The State of the University Address, which would be given by the LIU Post President Kimberly Klein, was cancelled. It was originally scheduled for February, some date, and then there was for March 19th, but unfortunately it was cancelled, and I don't think there will be a State of the University Address. And I tend to see in the story elements of a bureaucratic nightmare in that case. I'll read from the, the story I wrote. The State of the University Address by President Kimberly Klein, originally scheduled for February the 5th, and then rescheduled for March 19th, has been cancelled. Faculty and administrators were notified about the address, the rescheduled date, and then the cancellation by email. The email to CACD faculty and staff stated, Dr. Klein will be delivering the State of the University Address on Monday, February the 5th at 12.30pm in the Hillwood Lecture Hall. Please encourage students to attend as well. The address was then postponed to March 19th. Yet an email on March 14th state, the state of the university address scheduled for Monday, March 19th, has been cancelled. In response to the Pioneer's inquiries about the address, President Klein said the event was not cancelled, as it was never scheduled. Several weeks ago, we began having discussions about adding a second event in addition to the fall convocation to recognize student, faculty, and university achievements that occurred during the academic year in light of the many successes taking place on our campus. Klein said in her email response, Major university events do not come together overnight. They take weeks to prepare, which is why several proposed dates were held on the calendar. However, as the conversation shaped, other university commitments took precedence, she said. And, of course, we see that she said the event was not cancelled, contrasting to how the event was originally scheduled. And so I think there was probably a lie there. Vincent Giordano, a freshman's economics major, mathematics minor, and honors student, has his own theory about the cancellation. And remember, this is just a theory. We're not sure of all the finer points of it. Of the address. It is possible that this may have been due to the controversy surrounding the new credit policy. Many students on campus have become frustrated with the rollout and implementation of the new cap, Giordano said. The newly announced cap provided that students who take more than 18 credits beginning in fall 2018 will be charged $1,000 extra for every credit they add. My personal opinion, considering how expensive private education is, I would be very angry about this decision. I'm not taking 15 credits next semester, so I won't be personally impacted by this decision. But I think the administrators are making a very stupid choice here, in my humble opinion. And I think education already costs way too much. And say what you will about taking extra credits in one semester, but I don't think it should be charged over much if you take more than 18 credits. I think that's ridiculous, especially if you want to take some of these credits for learning, and especially if you are part of a science or math or music major, and that requires you to take a lot of credits per semester to be very competitive and more. 
I'll continue from the story. I recently joined a group of students who have begun lobbying against it, Giordano said. Many of us are concerned that we will now experience significant hurdles in making our schedules in the future, especially the performing arts students. Many performing arts students take 20 or more credits and do so to ensure that they have competitive resumes and qualifications upon graduation, he said. We are also concerned about degree completion, Giordano said. While it is possible to complete most, if not all, undergraduate degrees with a minimum of 15 credits per semester, oftentimes classes fill up quickly during registration periods and students may have to forgo taking degree requirements during certain semesters, meaning that they must double or even triple up during others. Not every course is three credits, though the new policy presents a risk of exceeding the due cap of 18 credits. Many science and mathematics majors who usually carry courses with more than three credits may run into roadblocks as well. There are many other concerns as well that have been brought to our attention, he said. Giordano does not know whether the cancellation of the university address was connected to the new policy. I caution against rushing to a conclusion without enough solid information. While it may be possible that there is a link, it is also entirely possible that the president chose to call off the event for other unspecified and pertinent reasons. If it was cancelled because of the controversy, then my hope is that the administration is reviewing the new policy and rethinking it, Giordano said. Students may nonetheless protest the new 18-credit cap, and I, the author of this article, support their protest. I think the new cap is ridiculous and overexpensive. And apparently, according to Klein, the, pre- the co- <clears throat> according to Klein, the change was made to accommodate new student needs because the university's decree requirement was re- recently reduced from 129 credits to 120 credits. According to her, this charge reduces student costs and time to graduate with an average reduction of 8 to 9 credits. LIU is committed to keeping tuition affordable, limiting increases to 2% a year, significantly below the national average, which is why, of course, we must charge people who take 18 credits and above more money, because that's how we limit increases to 2% a year and to keep it affordable. Nice. Really nice. And before I move on to the next topic, I'll be reading another poem by Queen Mab, an anonymous poet on campus, a mystery poet. We do not know who she he or she is, but the poem is titled More Debt and the New Tuition Plan, said to the tune of Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. I am, ma'am, ma'am, I am. That ma'am, I am. That ma'am, I am. I do not like that ma'am, I am. Would you like a new tuition plan? I would not like it, ma'am, I am. I would not like a new tuition plan. Would you like for me to mandate an 18-credit limit to the flat rate? I would not like for you to mandate an 18-credit limit to the flat rate. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like the new tuition plan. Would you like it with more fees? Would you like it with more bees? I would not like it with more fees. I would not like it with more bees. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like the new tuition plan. Would you like it with new cell towers? Would you like it with expensive flowers? I would not like it with new Excel towers. I would not like it with expensive flowers. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like the new tuition plan. Would you like it with undercooked meat? Would you like it with the potholes in the street? I would not like it with undercooked meat. I would not like it with potholes in the street. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like the new tuition plan. Is it possible that you could like it if I offered with a campus bike? I would not like it on a campus bike, but if I could find one undamaged, I just might. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like the new tuition plan. Would you like it with rotting trees? Would you like it on your knees? I would not like it with rotting trees. I would not like it on my knees. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like the new tuition plan. Would you like it with more debt? Would you like it as a marionette? I would not like it with more debt. I would not like to be a marionette. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like the new tuition plan. Ma'am, I am, ma'am, I am. What will it take for you to understand? 
I would not like for you to mandate an 18 credit limit to the flat rate. I would not like it with more fees. I would not like it with more bees. I would not like it with new cell towers. I would not like it with expensive flowers. I could not like it with undercooked meat. I cannot like it with potholes in the street. I could not like it on a campus bike. But if I could find one undamaged, I just might. I do not like it with rotting trees. I would not take this on my knees. I would not like to have more debt. I will not be your marionette. I do not like it, ma'am, I am. I do not like your new tuition plan. So just for giving an audience some taste of what will be next next week in this next episode with Richard Martin, I'll be reading passages from the Iliad just to give them a taste of what the great poem is about. The translation I'm using is from Carolyn Alexander. It's published by Echo, an imprint of HarperCollins Publishers. It's a great translation so far. It's very much in the tradition of the great translator Richmond Lattimore from the 1900s. And I'll be reading a few passages. This is from Book 18, when Achilles is waiting for his mother to bring him back his armor and stands over the trench while the Achaeans and the Trojans are wrestling over the body of Achilles' friend Patroclus. So speaking, swift-footed Iris departed, and Achilles' beloved of Zeus arose. And Athena cast the tassel aegis about his mighty shoulders. She... Shining among goddesses and circled round his head a cloud of gold, and from it blazed bright shining fire. And as when smoke rising from a city reaches the clear high air from a distant island, which enemy men fight round, and they the whole day long are pitted in hateful warfare around their city walls, but with the sun setting the beacon fires blare, the beacon fires blaze, torch upon torch, and flaring upward the glare becomes visible to those who live around, in the hope that they might come with ships as allies against destruction. So from Achilles' head the radiance reached the clear high air. And going away from the wall he stood at the ditch, nor did he mix with the Achaeans, for he observed his mother's knowing command. And standing there he shouted, and from the distance Pallas Athena cried out too. Unspeakable was the uproar he incited in the Trojans, as in a clarion voice is heard with cries the trumpet of life-destroying enemies who surround a city. Such then was the clarion voice of Aeacides. And when they heard the brazen voice of Aeacides, the spirit in man each was thrown in turmoil. The horses with their fine manes wheeled their chariots back, for in their hearts they forebode distress to come, and the charioteers were struck from the senses when they saw the weariless terrible fire above the head of Peleus' great-hearted son blazing, and this the gleaming-eyed goddess Athena calls to blaze. Three times across the ditch godlike Achilles cried his great cry, and three times the Trojans and their illustrious allies were thrown in panic. Then and there perished twelve outstanding men upon their own chariots and spears, and the Achaeans with relief pulled Patroclus out from under the missiles and laid him on a litter. And his beloved companions stood around it weeping, and with them followed swift-footed Achilles, shedding hot tears, when he looked upon his trusted comrade lying on the bier, torn with sharp bronze whom he had sent forth with horses and chariots into war, but did not welcome him returned home again. Of course, I'll be reading this passage, among others, next week when I return to the Iliad, because it's such a fascinating passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole of ancient literature. Just to see Achilles unarmed, but shining with the goddess's light, and then shining and scaring the Trojans and killing 12 of them by the shout of his voice. And these two similes of the great light calling for rescue and the sound of the trumpet, it just symbolizes and puts me in this wonderful world. But it's not only great in the bigger moments like this, it's also in some of the smaller moments when we see people doing normal things. And this is when Helen is first sh- first shown in the Iliad doing some weaving. This weaving is a woman's work, of course, in that time. This is from Book 3. 
She found Helen in her chamber. She was weaving a great cloth, a crimson cloak of double thickness, and was working in the many trials of the children, horsebreakers, and bronze-clad Achaeans, trials which for her sake they had suffered under the hand of Ares. Just this brief moment of her weaving, weaving in the war and weaving in the Trojans and Achaeans, it kind of symbolizes the whole poem when Homer is weaving the story where both Trojans and Achaeans are fighting together and making it into art. And another moment is in Book 9 when Achilles is playing his lyre. And so they, they being Odysseus and Phoenix and Ajax, they're on an embassy to Achilles to try to get him back into the war after he quit. And so they came to the shelters and ships of the Myrmidons and found him delighting his heart in a pure-toned lyre exquisitely wrought with the bridge of silver upon it, which he won from spoils when he lay waste the city of Eetion. With this he was delighting his spirit and singing the glorious deeds of men. And this is how one of the lines sounds in Greek. I'm not a knowledgeable person when it comes to ancient Greek. I don't speak ancient Greek. I don't read ancient Greek. And I'm very much an amateur, but I hope this would have given a good idea of what the lines sound like in ancient Greek. It's a very beautifully sounding line as well. And speaking of translations, I've always been fascinated by Robert Alter, whom I interviewed a few episodes ago on the David story. He didn't do only the David story, but he also did the five books of Moses, and he did the book of Psalms, he did the wisdom books, he did several other books as well, including the Song of Solomon and the book of Esther. And later on this year, he's going to re- later this year he's going to release the whole Hebrew Bible, which he finished and is now proofreading and preparing for publication in November 2018, I hope. Everybody gets a chance to buy it and read it, because Robert Alter is one of the great heroes of translation today. He's in the great tradition of George Chapman, William Tyndale, Alexander Pope, Richmond Lattimore, all these great translators in English language, translating and bringing great works of foreign literature to the English readers. It's amazing. It's just a real inspiration. Everybody knows a bit of Psalm 23. I'll read it first in the King James Version, and then I'll read it in Robert Alter's great translation. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now let's see how Robert Alter translates this. A David Psalm The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In grass meadows he makes me lie down, by quiet waters guides me. My life he brings back, he leads me on the pathways of justice for his name's sake. Though I walk in the veil of death's shadow, I fear no harm, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, it is they that console me. You set out a table before me in the face of my foes. You moisten my head with oil. My cup overflows. Let but goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for many long days. What a beautiful contrast. Robert Alter's poetry is more sensual, more concrete in some ways than the King James Version. The Valley of the Shadow of Death, and you have Robert Alter's beautiful version, The Veil of Death's Shadow, and also You Moisten My Head with Oil. Moisten is from the verb dishen, which is a more sensual verb rather than a sacramental verb. It's like to make luxuriant. 
And that's a fascinating way to look at the anointing that David speaks of in the psalm. And one of my favorite Robert Alter translations is from Exodus 15, when he translates the victory song after the Israelites escape the Red Sea and the Egyptians are drowned. Exodus 15. Then did Moses sing and all the Israelites with him this song to the Lord, and they said, saying, Let me sing unto the Lord, for he surged, O surged horse, and its rider he hurled into the sea. My strength and my power is Yah, and he became my deliverance. This is my God, I extol him. God of my fathers, I exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his force he pitched into the sea, and the pick of his captains were drowned in the reed sea. The depths did cover them over, down they went in the deep like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is mighty in power, your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In your great surging you wreck those against you. You sent forth your rat, it consumes them like straw. And with the breath of your nostrils, waters heaped up, streams stood up like a mound, the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue, overtake, divide up the loot, my gullet will fill with them, I'll bear my sword, my hand to spoil them. You blew with your breath. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, mighty in holiness? Awesome in praise, worker of wonders. You stretched out your hand. Earth swallowed them up. You let forth in your kindness this people that you redeemed. You guided them in your strength to your holy abode. Peoples heard. They quaked. Trembling seized Philistia's dwellers. Then were the chieftains of Edom dismayed. The dukes of Moab shuddering seized them. All the dwellers of Canaan quailed. Terror and fear did fall upon them as your arm loomed bigger. They were like a stone. Till your people crossed over, O Lord, till the people you made yours crossed over. You'll bring them... You'll plant them on the mount of your estate, a firm place for your dwelling you wrought, O Lord, the sanctum, O sovereign, your hands firmly founded. The Lord shall be king for all time. I hope that was a treat for all you listeners. It's amazing how Robert Alter captures some of the force of this poetry. And in the King James Version, in the first verse, it says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. And I like Robert Alter's version, let me sing unto the Lord, for he surged, O surged. The translation for for he surged, O surged, is ki ga'o ga'a, which is basically the correct translation in Robert Alter's case. In the King James Triumph Gloriously, it's also a good translation, but I like the repetition of surged, O surged, much better. I also want to take a look at how Robert Alter translates the Book of Judges, the Song of Deborah, after the war between her and the forces who are invading the city, the people of Israel. This is going to be a bit long. I understand since I don't have any guests, I'm kind of like limited to reading a lot of stuff. And I didn't prepare notes this episode, but stick with it and you'll get an interview episode next week and hopefully through the rest of April and May and as long as I continue recording this podcast. Judges chapter 5. And Deborah sang in Barak, son of Abhidoam, with her on that day, saying, When bonds were loosed in Israel, when the people answered the call, Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O chiefs, I to the Lord I shall sing. I shall hymn to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you came forth from Seir, when you strode from the fields of Edom, the earth heaved, the very heavens dripped rain. The clouds, oh, they dripped water. Mountains melted before the Lord, he of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgard, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the caravan seized and wayfarers walked on roundabout paths. 
unwalled cities seized in Israel, they seized till you arose, Deborah, till you arose, O mother in Israel. They chose new gods, then was their war at the gates. No shield nor lance was seen amidst 40,000 of Israel. My heart to the leaders of Israel who answered the call for the people, bless the Lord. Riders on pure white she-asses sitting on regal cloths, a wayfarer speak out louder than the sounds of archers by the watering places. There let them retell the Lord's bounties, his bounties for unwalled cities in Israel. Then the Lord's people went down to the gates. Awake, awake. Awake, O Deborah, awake, awake, O speak the song. Arise, Barak, take your captives, Abinoam's son. And I'll recite one of these verses in Hebrew. Uri, Uri, Deborah, Uri, Uri, Dabarishir, Kum, Barak, Ushabe, Shabiecha, Ben Abinoam. Continuing in Robert Alter's translation. Then the remnant of the mighty came down, the Lord's people came down from amidst the warriors, from Ephraim, their roots in Amalek, after you, O Benjamin, with your forces. From Machir, the leaders came down, and from Zebulun, wielders of the baton, and the commanders of Issachar and Deborah, and Issachar like Barak in the valley ran free. In the clans of Reuben, great were their hearts probings. Why did you stay among the sheepfolds, listening to the piping for the flocks? In the clans of Reuben, great were their hearts probings. Gilead across the Jordan dwelled, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher stayed by the shore of the sea, and by its inlets he dwelled. Zebulun, a people that challenged death, and Naphtali on the heights of the field. Kings came and did battle, then Canaan's kings did battle. In Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, no spoil of silver did they take. From the heavens the stars did battle, from their course did they battle with Sisera. The Kishon Wadi swept them off, an ancient Wadi, the Kishon Wadi. March on my being in valor. The hooves of the horses hammered from the gallop the gallop of his steeds. Curse, Moroz, said the Lord's messenger. Curse, O curse its dwellers, for they did not come to the aid of the Lord, to the aid of the Lord midst the warriors. Blessed above woman, Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite, above woman and ten species blessed. Water he asked for, milk did she give, in a princely bowl she served him curds. Her hand for the tent peg reached out, and her right hand for the workman's hammer. And she hammered Cicero, cracked up his head, she smashed and pierced his temple. Between her legs he kneeled, fell, lay... Between her legs he kneeled, he fell. Where he kneeled, he fell, destroyed. Through the window she looked out, moaned. Sisera's mother, through the lattice, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why so late the clatter of his cars? The wisest of her ladies answer her. She too replies of her own. Why they will find and share out the spoils, a damsel or two for every man. Spoil of dyed stuff for Sisera, spoil of dyed stuff, dyed needlework. Needlework pairs for every neck. Thus perish all your enemies, O Lord, and be his friends like the sun coming out of its might. And the land was quiet forty years. That moment when Sisera's mother is waiting for Sisera, because at this time Sisera was killed when Jael hammered his head. And it reminds me of the scene in the Iliad when Hector's wife Adromache is waiting for Hector as Hector went out to fight Achilles. And next week with Richard Martin, I will plan to discuss that episode and make some comparisons between the Bible's judge's song and also that moment when Adromache is waiting and musing on how her son will suffer and then realizes that Hector has died and she's weeping. It's a beautiful moment in both the Iliad and in Judges, the scene of like a mother or a woman waiting for her son or her man to come back from battle and eventually to realize that her son will not come back because he's dead. So unfortunately, that was a bit of a brief episode this week, but until next time, you have been listening to the Letter of Liberty where we have discussed literature, liberty, politics, news, and potentially all that is under the sun. Please subscribe, share, leave a review, and tune in next time to hear the next guest. 
Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.